Hi there, and welcome to our podcast. And this week at London Visited, we go to 10 Downing Street to tell you all about this address in London, famous globally with heads of state and leaders. This is part one of a two-part podcast looking at this place, and we go back in history from the creation of the home of the UK politics. My name's Steve, and each week I'll bring to you the facts, history and information about different parts of this great capital. If you've been to London, are planning on visiting, live here, or just love London from afar, then this is a podcast for you. Also, don't forget to visit our YouTube channel, London Visited, to see videos covering so many places across London. And now, to this week's podcast. 10 Downing Street, also quite locally in the UK known as Number 10, along with the adjoining Cabinet Office at 70 Whitehall, is the headquarters of the Government of the UK and the official residence and office of the First Lord of the Treasury, a post for which most of the 18th and 19th century, and invariably since 1905, has been held by the Prime Minister of the UK. The term 10 Downing Street, or just Downing Street, is also used as a metonym for the Prime Minister's office. Situated in Downing Street in the city of Westminster, number 10 is over 300 years old and contains approximately 100 rooms. A private residence for the office holder's use occupies the third floor and there is a kitchen in the basement. The other floors contain offices and conference, reception, sitting and dining rooms, where the Prime Minister works, and where government ministers, national leaders and foreign dignitaries are met and entertained. At the rear is an interior courtyard and a terrace overlooking a half-acre garden. Adjacent to St James's Park, number 10 is near Buckingham Palace and the London residence of the British monarch and the Palace of Westminster, the meeting place for both Houses of Parliament. Number 10 Downing Street is about 0.8 miles from Buckingham Palace via Birdcage Walk. Originally three houses, number 10 was offered to Sir Robert Walpole by King George II in 1732. Walpole accepted on the condition that the gift was to the office of the First Lord of the Treasury, rather than to him personally. Walpole commissioned William Kent to join the three houses, and it is the larger house that is known as number 10 Downing Street. The arrangement was not an immediate success. Despite its size and convenient location near to Parliament, few early Prime Ministers lived there. Costly to maintain, neglected and run down, number 10 was close to being demolished several times, but the property survived and became linked with many statesmen and events in British history. In 1985, Margaret Thatcher said number 10 had become one of the most precious jewels in the national heritage. Number 10 Downing Street was originally three properties, a mansion overlooking St James's Park, called the house at the back, a townhouse behind it and a cottage. The townhouse, from which the modern building gets its name, was one of several built by Sir George Downing between 1682 and 1684. Downing, a notorious spy for Oliver Cromwell and later Charles II, invested in property and acquired considerable wealth. In 1654, he purchased the lease on the land south of St James's Park, adjacent to the house at the back, within walking distance of Parliament. Downing planned to build a row of terraced townhouses for persons of good quality to inhabit in. The street on which he built them now bears his name, and the largest became part of Number 10 Downing Street. Straightforward as the investment seemed, it proved otherwise. The Hampton family had a lease on the land, and they refused to relinquish. Downing fought their claim, but failed, and had to wait 30 years before he could build. When the Hampton lease expired, Downing received permission to build on the land, further west, to take advantage of more recent property developments. The new warrant issued in 1602 reads, Sir George Downing is authorised to build new and more houses, subject to the proviso that they not be built nearer than 14 feet 
of the wall of said park, at the west end thereof. Between 1682 and 1684, Downing built a cul-de-sac of two-storey townhouses with coach houses, stables and views of St James's Park. Over the years, the addresses changed several times. In 1787, number 5 became number 10. Downing employed Sir Christopher Wren to design the houses. Although large, they were put up quickly and cheaply on soft soil with shallow foundations. Winston Churchill wrote that number 10 was shaky and lightly built by the profiteering contractor whose name they bear. The upper end of the Downing Street cul-de-sac was closed off to access to the St James's Park, making the street quiet and private. An advertisement in 1720 described it as a pretty open place, especially at the upper end, where there are four or five very large and well-built houses, fit for persons of honour and quality, each house having a pleasant prospect into St James's Park, with a terrace walk. The cul-de-sac had several distinguished residents. The Countess of Yarmouth lived at number 10 between 1688 and 1689, Lord Lansdowne from 1692 to 1696, and the Earl of Grantham from 1699 to 1703. Downing did not live in Downing Street. In 1675, he retired to Cambridge, where he died in 1684, a few months after building was completed. In 1800, the wealth he had accumulated was used to found Downing College in Cambridge, as it had been his wish should his descendants fail in the male line. Downing's portrait hangs in the entrance hall of number 10. The house at the back, the largest of the three houses which were combined to make number 10, was a mansion built in about 1530 next to the Whitehall Palace. Rebuilt, expanded and renovated many times since, it was originally one of several buildings that made up the cockpit lodgings, so-called because they were attached to an octagonal structure used for cockfighting. Early in the 17th century, the cockpit was converted to a concert hall and theatre. After the glorious revolution of 1688, some of the first cabinet ministers were held there secretly. For many years, the house at the back was home of Thomas Gavitt, keeper of Whitehall Palace, famous for capturing Guy Fawkes in 1605 and foiling his plot to assassinate King James I. The previous year, Knevitt had moved into a house next door, approximately where number 10 is today. From that time, the house at the back was usually occupied by members of the royal family or the government. Princess Elizabeth, eldest daughter of King James I, lived there from 1604 until 1613, when she married Frederick V, Alexa Palatine, who moved to Heidelberg. She was the grandmother of King George I, the Elector of Hanover, who became King of Great Britain in 1714 and was great-grandmother of King George II, who presented the house to Walpole in 1732. George Monarch, 1st Duke of Albemarle, the general responsible for the restoration of the monarchy in 1660, lived there from 1660 until his death in 1671. As head of the Great Treasury Commission of 1667 to 1672, Albemarle transformed accounting methods and allowed the Crown greater control over expenses. His secretary, Sir George Downing, first baronet, who built Downing Street, is thought to have created these changes. Albemarle is the first Treasury Minister to have lived in what became the home of the first Lord of the Treasury and Prime Minister. In 1671, George Villars, second Duke of Buckingham, took possession when he joined the Cabal Ministry. At considerable expense, Buckingham rebuilt the house. The result was a spacious mansion, lying parallel to Whitehall Palace, with a view of St James's Park from its garden. 
After Buckingham retired in 1676, Lady Charlotte Fitzroy, Charles II's daughter, moved in when she married Edward Lee, 1st Earl of Lichfield. The Crown authorised extensive rebuilding, which included adding a story, thus giving it three main floors, an attic and basement. This structure can be seen today as the rear section of number 10. The likely reason that the repair was required is that the house had settled in the swampy ground near the Thames, causing structural damage. Like Downing Street, it rested on a shallow foundation, a design error that caused problems until 1960, when the modern number 10 was rebuilt on deep pilings. The Litchfields followed James II into exile after the Glorious Revolution. Two years later, in 1690, William III and Mary II gave the house at the back to a Dutch general who had assisted in securing the crown for the Prince of Orange. Nassau, who anglicised his name to Overkirk, lived there until his death in 1708. The house at the back reverted to the crown when Lady Overkirk died in 1720. The Treasury issued an order for repairing and fitting up the best and most substantial manor, at a cost of £2,522. The work included the back passage into Downing Street to be repaired and a new door, a new necessary house to be made, to take down the useless passage formerly made for the maids of honour to go into Downing Street, when the Queen lived at the cockpit, to new cast a great lead cistern and pipes and to lay the water into the house, and a new frame for ye cistern. The name of the house at the back changed with the occupant, from Litchfield House to Overkirk House in 1690, to Bothmere House in 1720. Johann Caspar von Bothmer, Premier Minister of the Electorate of Hanover, head of the German Chancellery and advisor to George I and II, took up residency in 1720. Although Bothmere complained about the ruinous condition of the premises, he lived there until his death in 1732. Even though Count von Bothmere was not British, he was a subject of George I and II, and the first politician and head of government who resided in 10 Downing Street. When Count Bothmere died, ownership of the house at the back reverted to the crown. George II took this opportunity to offer it to Sir Robert Walpole, often called the first Prime Minister, as a gift for his services to the nation. Stabilising its finances, keeping it at peace and securing the Hanoverian succession. Coincidentally, the King had obtained the leases on two Downing Street properties, including number 10, and added these to his proposed gift. Walpole did not accept the gift for himself. He proposed, and the King agreed, that the Crown give the properties to the office of First Lord of the Treasury. Walpole would live there as incumbent First Lord, but would vacate it for the next one. To enlarge the new house, Walpole persuaded Mr Chicken, the tenant of a cottage next door, to move to another house in Downing Street. This small house and the mansion at the back were then incorporated into number 10. Walpole commissioned William Kent to convert them into one building. Kent joined the larger houses by building a two-storey structure between them, consisting of one long room on the ground floor and several above. The remaining interior space was converted into a courtyard. He connected the Downing Street houses with a corridor. Having united the structures, Kent gutted and rebuilt the interior. Then he surmounted the third storey of the house at the back with a pediment. To allow Walpole quicker access to Parliament, Kent closed the north entrance from St James's Park and made the door in Downing Street the main entrance. The rebuilding took three years. On the 23rd of September 1735, the London Daily Post announced that, yesterday, the Right Honourable Sir Robert Walpole, with his First Lady and family, removed from their house in St James's Square 
to his new house adjoining the treasury in St. James's Park. The cost of conversion is unknown. Originally estimated at £8,000, the final cost probably exceeded £20,000. Walpole did not enter through the now famous door. That would not be installed until 40 years later. Kent's door was modest, belaying the spacious elegance beyond. The First Lord's new, albeit temporary, home had 60 rooms, with hardwood and marble floors, crown-moulding elegant pillars and marble mantelpieces, those on the west side with views of St. James's Park. One of the largest rooms was a study measuring 40 feet by 20, with enormous windows overlooking St. James's Park. My Lord's study, as Kent labelled it in his drawings, would later become the Cabinet Room, where Prime Ministers meet with Cabinet Ministers. Shortly after moving in, Walpole ordered that a portion of the land outside his study be converted into a terrace and garden. Latter's patent issued in April 1736 state that a piece of garden ground situated in His Majesty's Park at St. James's and belonging and adjoining to the house now inhabited by the Right Honourable, the Chancellor of His Majesty's Exchequer, have been lately made and fitted up to the charge of the Crown. The same document confirmed that Number 10 Downing Street was meant to be annexed and united to the office of His Majesty's Treasury and to be and to remain for the use and habitation of First Commissioner of His Majesty's Treasury for the time being. Walpole lived in Number 10 until 1742. Although he had accepted on behalf of the future First Lords of the Treasury, it would be 21 years before any of his successors chose to live there. The five who followed Walpole preferred their own homes. It was a pattern until the beginning of the 20th century. Of the 31 First Lords from 1735 to 1902, only 16, including Walpole, lived in Number 10. One reason many First Lords chose not to live in Number 10 was that most owned London townhouses, superior in size and quality. To them, Number 10 was unimpressive. Their possession of the house, albeit temporary, was a prerequisite they could bestow as a political reward. Most lent it to the Chancellor of the Exchequer, others to lesser officials or to friends and relatives. Another reason for its unpopularity was that Number 10 was a hazardous place in which to live. Prone to sinking because it was built on soft soil and a shallow foundation, floors buckled and walls and chimneys cracked. It became unsafe and frequently required repairs. In 1766, for example, Charles Townsend, Chancellor of the Exchequer, pointed out that the house was in a dilapidated condition. His architect's letter to the Treasury stated, We have caused the house in Downing Street belonging to the Treasury to be surveyed and find that the walls of the old part of the said house next to the street to be much decayed, the floors and chimneys much sunk from the level. Townsend ordered extensive repairs, which were still incomplete eight years later. A note from Lord North to the Office of Works, dated September 1774, asked that the work on the front of the house, which was begun by a warrant from the Treasury, dated the 9th of August 1766, should be finished. Treasury officials complained that the building was costing too much to maintain. Some suggested that it should be raised and a new house constructed on the site or elsewhere. In 1782, the Board of Works reporting on the dangerous state of the old part of the house stated that no time be lost in taking down said building. In 1783, the Duke of Portland moved out because it was once again in need of repair. A committee found that the money spent so far was insufficient. This time, the Board of Works declared that the repairs, alterations and additions at the Chancellor of the Exchequer's house will amount to the sum of £5,580, exclusive of the sum 
for which they already have his majesty's warrant, and praying for a warrant for the said sum of £5,580, and praying an impressed of that sum to enable them to pay the workmen. This proved to be a gross underestimate. The final bill was over £11,000. The Morning Herald fumed about the expense. £500 per annum, preceding the great repair, and £11,000, the great repair itself. So much has this extraordinary edifice cost the country. For one moiety of the sum, a much better dwelling might have been purchased. A few Prime Ministers, however, did enjoy living in Number 10. Lord North, who conducted the war against the American Revolution, lived there happily with his family from 1767 to 1782. William Pitt the Younger, who made it his home for 20 years, longer than any first lord before or since, from 1783 to 1801, and from 1804 to 1806, referred to it as my vast, awkward house. While there, Pitt reduced the national debt, formed the Triple Alliance against France, and won passage of the Act of Union, which created the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland. Frederick Robertson, Lord Grioch, took a special liking to the house in the late 1820s and spent state funds lavishingly remodelling the interior. Nevertheless, for 70 years following Pitt's death in 1806, Number 10 was rarely used as the First Lord's residence. From 1834 to 1877, it was either vacant or used only for offices and meetings. Downing Street declined at the turn of the 19th century, becoming surrounded with run-down buildings, dark alleys and the scene of crime and prostitution. Earlier, the government had taken over other Downing Street houses. The colonial office occupied number 14 in 1798. The foreign office was at number 16, and the houses on either side, the West India Department, was number 18, and the tithe commissioners in number 20. The houses deteriorated from neglect, became unsafe, and one by one were demolished. By 1857, Downing Street's townhouses were all gone, except for number 10, number 11, customary the Chancellor of the Exchequer's residence, and number 12, used as offices for government whips. In 1879, a fire destroyed the upper floors of number 12. It was renovated, but only as a single-storey structure. When Lord Salisbury retired in 1902, his nephew, Arthur James Balfour, became Prime Minister. It was an easy transition. He was already First Lord of the Treasury, and he was already living in number 10. Balfour revived the custom that Number 10 is the First Lord and Prime Minister's official residence. It has remained the custom since. However, there have been numerous times when Prime Ministers have unofficially lived elsewhere, out of necessary or preference. Winston Churchill, for example, had a great affection for Number 10, but during World War II, he grudgingly slept in the hastily converted flat on the ground floor of what was then the new public office building, NPO, at nearby Storey's Gate. The flat became known as the Number 10 Annex and lay above the much more comprehensive underground bunker known as the Cabinet War Rooms and where he also had a bedroom, very rarely used. To reassure the people that his government was functioning normally, he insisted on being seen entering and leaving Number 10, occasionally and indeed continuing to use it for meetings and dinners despite being urged not to. Harold Wilson during his second ministry from 1974 to 1976 lived in his home in Lord North Street because Mary Wilson wanted a proper home. However, recognising the symbolic importance of Number 10, he worked and held meetings there and entertained guests in the state dining room. For most of his premiership, Tony Blair lived in the more spacious residence above Number 11 
to accommodate his large family. In May 2010, it was reported that David Cameron would also take actual residence above number 11 and his chancellor, George Osborne, above number 10. Despite these exceptions, number 10 has been known as the Prime Minister's official home for over 100 years. By the turn of the 20th century, photography and the penny press had linked number 10 in the public mind with the premiership. The introduction of films and television would strengthen this association. Pictures of Prime Ministers with distinguished guests at the door became commonplace. With or without the Prime Minister present, visitors had their picture taken. Suffragettes posed in front of the door when they petitioned H. H. Asquith for women's rights in 1913, a picture that became famous and was circulated around the world. In 1931, Mahatma Gandhi, wearing a traditional homespun dhoti, posed leaving number 10 after meeting with Ramsay MacDonald to discuss India's independence. This picture, too, became especially famous in India. The freedom fighters could see that their leader had been received in the Prime Minister's home. Cozy's elegant, understated door, stark black, framed in cream white with a bold 10 clearly visible, was the perfect backdrop to record such events. Prime Ministers made historic announcements from the front step. Waving the Anglo-German Agreement of Friendship, Neville Chamberlain proclaimed peace with honour in 1938 from number 10 after his meeting with Adolf Hitler in Munich. During World War II, Churchill was photographed many times emerging confidently from number 10, holding up two fingers in the sign for victory. The symbol of British government, number 10, became a gathering place for protesters. Emmeline Pankhurst and other suffragette leaders stormed Downing Street in 1908. Anti-Vietnam war protesters marched there in the 1960s, as did anti-Iraq and Afghanistan war protesters in the 2000s. Number 10 became an obligatory stop in every tourist sightseeing trip to London. Ordinary people, not only British, but foreign tourists, posed smiling and laughing in front of its famous door. So, I hope you've enjoyed our part one look at 10 Downing Street. Next week in part two, we'll look at more up-to-date history, plus some of the famous parts of the building. Whatever podcast service you use to listen to this, please do subscribe to get updates on new shows. And also, please leave us some feedback. Please also let me know any places you'd like us to feature in future podcasts. And you can let me know through our website, www.londonvisited.co.uk. You can email me directly on londonvisited at gmail.com or you can contact us on Twitter and Instagram at London Visited. Alternatively, on Facebook, on at The London Visited. Thanks for listening. Really hope you enjoyed our podcast and we'll see you soon for part two. Bye. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.